Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson. I'm the founder of Stack, the service that searches out the best independent magazines and delivers them to thousands of readers around the world every month. This week, I'm speaking to Harriet Fitch Little, editor of Kinfolk magazine and editor-in-chief of Kindling, the new title published by Kinfolk to explore the subject of bringing up children. In this conversation, Harriet explains how they ended up making a magazine about raising kids in the first place, and she outlines some of the key considerations that went into making this such an open and non-judgmental magazine. I should say that I spoke to Harriet quite a few weeks ago now. Uh, We were planning to take a break from moving into our new office, but then the EU's new VAT laws popped up, uh, and I'm afraid I just haven't had a chance to edit our conversation together until now. So um, sorry about that, Harriet, and thank you very much for bearing with me. But the good news is that the delay means the magazine is now actually out. Uh, We were speaking before Kindling had launched, but I'm very pleased to say that as I'm recording this, we have copies available to buy in the stack shop. So um, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Harriet. And if you find yourself wanting to see the magazine for yourself, head over to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop to buy one while you can. Harriet, thank you so much for making time to talk. Oh, thank you very much for talking to us. This is the first time I've spoken about kindling sort of out loud. Ooh. Um, so you have, you have to bear with me if it's sort of rusty. <laughs> I like it. thoughts I can't quite articulate out loud yet. Well, okay, so we should give a little bit of background on this. So um, you are the editor of Kinfolk magazine uh, yeah. and now also editor-in-chief of Kindling um, because presumably like you didn't find it difficult enough to like you know edit one of the most phenomenally successful independent magazines in the world you just thought well we'll, we'll add in another one as well <laughs> I always like going to it just begins with outright flattery that's ah. <laughs> <laughs> very kind but also, it's not it's never been sort of just me on Kinfolk so uh, Kinfolk's got its own editor-in-chief John Burns who sort of does the equivalent job to what I have been doing on Kindling, which is, um, I mean, I often think the difference between being sort of an editor and an editor-in-chief is just a lot of the stuff that isn't much fun, mm. you know? So mm. as editor on Kinfolk, I still did sort of a lot of the commissioning and the editing and um, the bits that perhaps you think an editor's job involves. Um, and an editor-in-chief involves like a slightly different skill set that mm. I'm sort of learning as I go. I mean, luckily, you've got a copy of Kindling, and I didn't accidentally sort of print the cover on the back page, which is <laughs> my main concern, being in charge of a flat plan for the first time. Right, yeah, yeah. But, the, but actually, the so what I was really interested um, to find out a bit more about is you talk in the editor's letter um, about how all of this came about. And you you basically, so I mean, we, we've got two magazines involved here already because we've got Kinfolk and Kindling, but then you also introduce another magazine right at the start of this, which kind of inspired this version of Kindling. So may, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that came about. Yes. So Kindling will be sort of, I think, probably known to some of your listeners because I think it was mm. definitely uh, featured in an article in Stack uh, when it was sort of first circulating. Kindling, which 
ran under the title Kindling Quarterly was initially a quarterly publication, hence the name, focused on fatherhood in particular, um, and publishing in the US. And that came out, I think it ran for uh, somewhere between six and eight issues around 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was a really nice magazine that sort of filled a gap at the time for sort of, I suppose you could call it aspirational, but in a positive sense, sort of content about fatherhood, Mm. um, which I don't think really existed either in the indie media landscape or perhaps even sort of the wide media landscape. Um, and Kinfolk sort of came into the picture um, quite a few years after they'd sort of stopped circulating. Um, I think just, you know, in the way that lots of um, relatively small magazines that have some degree of success sort of um, just decide at a certain point to call it a day. Mm. Um, And we sort of acquired the rights to use the name, um, I think before I joined the company, so perhaps four years ago. Really? Um, yeah, so, and I think, you know, partly sort of inspired by the idea it might be really nice to do something related to sort of children or related to um, parenting. And also, I just think, you know, some great brand synchronicity in terms of uh, the name Kindling um, as an entity called Kinfolk, it sort of made a lot of sense. Mm, and yeah, the sort of mm. title was up for grabs. Um, so we sort of took it on, and it's really only been in lockdown that we've started working on it and it's um so David uh, Michael Perez who was one of the co-founders along with August Hefner um David's still sort of he's involved in this iteration of Kindling and he's part of our editorial board mm-hmm. sort of a group of advisors um, and people who are sort of occasionally giving us ideas looking through the magazine for us um so that's been really nice and I think he's sort of very happy um, well, he says he's very happy at what we've done with it, but obviously it's changed to such an extent that I don't think I'd call it a relaunch right. um, because the focus has sort of broadened out from being about fatherhood to a lot more. So if you wanted to be pretentious, maybe you could call it like a reimagining. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you don't have mm-hmm. to call it that. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, I mean, it, I, and you're right, I, I do remember um, Kindling from the first time, and it, it came out around the same time as there was another magazine called Fathers, and I think, uh, and, you know, in the way that in the independent magazine world, you get these, like, weird sort of, like, blips of, like, mm. you know, there are no magazines about dads, and then, like, there are three magazines about dads all of a sudden. But the, if I remember this one rightly, I think David started uh, his version of Kindling shortly after becoming a father. Is, is that right? I think that is correct. Okay, yes. all right, okay. Which I always I know that they both had children, both the co-founders. Right, okay. okay. I mean, it, it blows my mind, like, when people go, I've just had this major life event, like, having a child. I know, I'm yeah. going to make a magazine. <laughs> well, surely, this is the bit where you go, I'm going to, like, not do anything other than what I just really have to do at the moment. But, so, yeah. it, interesting that in your version of it, then, this is something that's been, like, in the works for a long time, but it's as we're hearing a lot with a lot of magazines at the moment, it was lockdown and the pandemic that suddenly meant there was like bandwidth for it. I think so. Yeah, I think it was um, something we've sort of always wanted to get going. And I guess, I mean, you can sort of put a positive or a negative spin on it, can't you, in terms of how much less we had going on hmm. during lockdown, at least like once we'd sort of... Um, resolved the initial issues of how are we going to make a magazine in this way in relation to kinfolk 
And there were lots of things, you know, in relation to the space in Copenhagen, um, perhaps events or other things, or, you know, just traveling um, that might normally be taking up uh, the team's attention spans. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, so it just seemed like a good time. Yeah. I think it was a good time in retrospect, um, yeah, to sort of uh, resurrect kindling and really do something with that. I should say it's not like we've got sort of a million titles um, sitting in the vault somewhere <laughs> um, that we just sort of picked through over coffee. This is this is the only title right, okay. that um, Kinfolk has acquired. Yeah, I was trying to think of all the other magazines starting with Kin that uh, that could have been out there, but um, okay. <laughs> the, uh, but I mean, actually, aside from you know the serendipity of like you know the names kind of starting the same you can really see how this makes sense as a magazine for kinfolk because i mean you can see how there's a lot of people who have read kinfolk for a long time who could then cross over into kindling and probably people who maybe haven't really come across kinfolk before but because of having kids and being interested in that side of things like they could be discovering you for the first time. Is, is, is this sort of part of the, I guess, the sort of like strategic thinking for, for this magazine? I, I think it definitely made sense the thought that when Kinfolk started, perhaps its audience was sort of in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and now mm-hmm. the audience is probably more in their 30s. Um, and lots of them will have children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it, it sort of made sense from that perspective. Um, and... I think there are some really lovely magazines for children out there. There are some, there are sort of a couple of nice things focused on um, the adults who are spending time around those children. I think um, Lunch Lady in Australia is mm, really mm, nice. Mm. Um, but given sort of, you know, how many people have children and are interested in print um, and interested in sort of, yeah, you know, magazines in general, it did seem like an incredibly um, underserved uh, demographic, I guess. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, well, and then also, I mean, I, again, I'm guessing, but it's, uh, it seems like this is something that makes commercial sense as well. So I, I think I counted 16 ad pages in this launch issue and all of them filled with very smart, stylish advertising. You know, not even all are like based around kids, but again, this it feels like there's this crossover between the kinfolk and kindling worlds, that this just kind of makes sense in terms of the people you're speaking to. Yeah, and it was very nice to get advertising in because I think if you're making a magazine, no one's seen it for quite a long time when you're working on it. So um, I I honestly, this is one of the things that perhaps is different between being an editor and being an editor-in-chief. I never thought I'd be excited by advertising. (laughs) It was like a bit of a pain and definitely a secondary consideration. Whereas now sort of every ad page that Eddie, our sales director, said that he'd sold, I was just absolutely delighted because I think what it essentially meant to me is that there are people who are looking at the magazine or, you know, at least a deck for the magazine before it's come out. Um, and saying that it looks good and looks like something that they think people might want to buy. Mm, mm, so mm. That's, quite, that's quite reassuring, sort of early market research. Right, exactly, yeah, proof of concept, yeah. Um, so I, I want to talk a bit about the actual, like the stories in the magazine, because yeah. it strikes me that, like, so children and parenthood, and, you know, so speaking as someone who has kids, like, I know that, talking with friends about like your kids and the way that you do things and stuff can quickly get like fraught or there's 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 kind of like a lot of sort of 
judgment that gets thrown in there, like maybe accidentally or unintentionally. And it sounds yeah. like you've been quite careful to step around that in, in making the magazine. Maybe you could talk about the sort of stories that you decided to include. Yeah, I think we've been very careful about that. Um, I mean, one thing I think about sort of advice giving in general is that it's probably not what people are looking to a biannual print magazine for, mm, you know? Mm, mm. When I was sort of first thinking about the idea, me and the sort of editor-in-chief of Kinfolk, John, we sort of got these stacks of parenting magazines and sort of surprised at how much of them really was just sort of Q&As on how to get your baby to go to sleep, like mm. these things that either absolutely couldn't be covered in a column or that you'd probably, you know, Google if you needed a recipe for organic hummus. Yeah. Like maybe you'd just um, type that into a search engine. So what we felt sort of people are probably looking for more uh, in these biannual uh, publications is something that takes a bit of a step back uh, and doesn't give advice uh, in that capacity. Um, so, I mean, we do have things where you could say we have a perspective. Like there's a piece in the magazine about sort of how to make friends at playgroup as an adult, you know, so how to get talking to um, other people who are there with their children. So, you know, if you're being strict about it, you could say that that was sort of advice giving, um, but that's something we've really sort of tried to stay away from. Mm. Um, and I realized perhaps I'm sort of answering your questions and like negatives about like what it's not. Cause I think the other sort of important thing that we haven't done is we haven't um, really photographed mm. families mm. or mm. sort of, children and their parents or carers in sort of um beautiful homes or sort of idealized um situations and i think that was quite a conscious decision just based on the fact that i think often you know you were saying that conversations can be fraught when it comes to the topic of children i think also seeing the lives of others can become quite difficult and can often be more um can often sort of you know you, you can interview a really interesting family and I'd imagine that people who read that interview aren't necessarily reading all the interesting stuff they're saying you know why can't I get my kids to pose for a photo like that <laughs> um where, where do they get those clothes from you know all these thoughts I don't really want people to have when they're reading yes. the magazine yeah yeah, um, yeah and I think there's definitely you know coming back to the difference between kindling and kindling quarterly that preceded it I think there was really a space for that and an importance to that when they made that magazine in 2013 because those images of fatherhood in particular didn't exist to the same extent mm, mm. but now I think particularly anyone who's on social media they will be really sort of bombarded with images of what it means to be you know a quote-unquote good family mm. um, so perhaps that's something we can do without in the magazine yeah and yeah I mean you still have stuff in there that um is absolutely aspirational. I'm not going to say that you're, you, you've got a photo story on um, forts, so like, you know, the little kind of dens made with blankets yeah. and stuff. I've never made a den that looks anywhere near as good as that stuff. So <laughs> this is clearly like the, yeah, we're, we're, we're being sensitive uh, about the way that people kind of see themselves and their kids, but there's still a lot of stuff in here that I look at it and go like, yeah, man, if, if, if even in my best life, I couldn't make something as good as that. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I would like to think that 
you could. I think <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where sort of your artistic capabilities end. But um, you know, that pillow fort story is really just made using um brooms and sheets and household props. And one thing we've really done with, you know, the magazine is aimed at adults, but we've got sort of activities and things in it to do with children. And one thing we've been like very conscious about is making all those things accessible. Um, you know, we've got a sort of craft section at the back and none of those are things where you need a craft drawer full of sort of like fuzzy felt. Right, right. Um, none of them are things where you need like a lot of time. Uh, the idea is that everything can sort of be done with like the bare minimum that you might have around like your house or flat. And one of our longer features is on uh, forest schools, which are obviously uh, Kinfolk is based in Copenhagen. So the idea of sort of educating children outside um, is something that's really popular there. But the way we tried to approach that was sort of looking at how you could apply um, the sort of ethos of forest schools to a home environment. And, you know, we did that on the presumption that people reading wouldn't necessarily have a private garden, wouldn't necessarily have access even to a public park, mm, you know, that mm. it might be literally a question of like picking up a few leaves from the street and building a leaf boat in your sink in your flat. Um, so I do think we've tried quite hard to make everything in the magazine very sort of doable and achievable, but obviously, well, hopefully, the photography and the way it's sort of like styled within the magazine looks really nice because I think that's also part of why people have always bought kinfolk and hopefully also why they'll buy kindling. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I was also, and I think, <clears throat> to talk about uh, a story that I think, we, well, it was the most surprising story uh, in the issue for me. Um, there's a, a piece on, uh, it's like a report on the problem with orphanages and I just think that, you know, in terms of so like, you know, visually, the tone of the magazine, it's like kind of it's very friendly. It's very I mean, you know, it's clearly a magazine that has got children in mind and a lot of like kind of fun and, and lightness comes with that. But this story on um, like orphanages, which are apparently spuriously presenting children as orphans and so, like you know, taking children from their families, presenting them as orphans in order to get cash from western ngos and then even like extending out beyond that and talking about like you know the damage that is done to children by institutionalized care is like it's that's seriously hard hitting like it's actually really quite difficult to read yeah um i definitely agree with you that's sort of the most difficult piece in the magazine and obviously it's something we thought about um and then I just sort of thought about the magazines that I read here in the UK you know I read sort of um the Sunday supplements like the FT Weekend magazine mm. they'll put sort of the silliest columns and the most heart-hitting articles side by side so I think there really is space for that in a magazine mm. um I think mm. perhaps you know if it's not something that we associate with magazines aimed towards you know parents and carers mm. then perhaps that says more about how that media space has become perhaps sometimes like quite uh you could say perhaps like safe and sanitized mm, um mm. I, I do think there's space for that i think you know people who are interested in 
children and in the raising of a child, which is the sort of very broad demographic that we want to cater to with the magazine. Um, I think, you know, the question of how children in the developing world are sort of perhaps raised in situations which they absolutely would not choose for their own children um, is sort of hard hitting, but interesting. And mm. I do think there's a space for it. And it's also about sort of how you present it graphically, isn't it? So we didn't illustrate that story. Um, our designer, Alex Hunting, sort of illustrated it with graphic shapes, um, mm. Mm. which I think worked well and sort of felt like it fitted with the sort of playful visual identity of the issue as a whole, whilst also not being light in a context in which it was entirely inappropriate to be light. Okay, so you've got the magazine out in front of you now, um, you know, you're presumably seeing it for the first time. What are the expectations in terms of well, your expectations and those of the organisation what do you want Kindling to do? Hmm, do you mean sort of in the, uh, you know, do I want it like to take over every newsstand <laughs> in the world or what do I want it to sort of mean to the people who read it? Well, let's, let's go both. So, the, so, so in terms of like commercially as something that's out there on the newsstand, is, is, are you envisioning this as something that, in time is just as big a name as kinfolk and then also in terms of you know for the people who are picking this up and reading it like what do you want them to take from it um yeah i i mean i think the way that kinfolk started and that was you know a decade ago and i wasn't there for the sort of uh birthing years of the magazine sorry that's a terrible metaphor i've been thinking about <laughs> uh children and parenting too much clearly but I think um, it was a success and a sort of uh, evolution that happened quite gradually and uh, in a slightly unplanned way. Mm. Um, and obviously, I would like it if Kindling became a real media sensation um, and became, you know, perhaps we could print it more regularly uh, than twice a year. Um, were that the case but I think basically you just don't know until you've got a couple of issues out um, I think anything sort of further that we might do with it as a title or you know stretching into like scare quotes what you might call like a brand um, mm -hmm. will sort of come off the back of having at least a sort of year's worth of magazines um, that people are like reading and enjoying mm -hmm. so it's all sort of the foundation is print um, I think definitely in terms of what I want people to get from reading it, I like the idea, you know, it's a small magazine, it's sort of small to hold. Um, and I like the idea that people who are, can sort of pick it up and put it down, but that the things that they find within it um, essentially sort of treat their experience of having or raising a child as something like extremely interesting and thought-provoking on a sort of almost philosophical level um, and that sort of speaks to them as adults who have sort of got all the interests that they have in their life, who sort of care about design, um, who care about sort of looking into, you know, uh, difficult ideas like the piece we've got on orphanages whilst also 
raising a child um, and doing really fun things with their child. So I know that's a lot because essentially what I'm saying is I hope that people like it as a magazine. Mm, um, mm. But <laughs> I think, yeah, I just hope that it's something that makes people feel good um, and that makes them feel like the part of them that is raising a child is sort of a part of their whole Mm. rather than you know something that gets sort of cordoned off to like the momfluencer sphere mm. um mm. or just sort of um you know mum's net and parenting blogs yeah yeah then i i think that that really rings true for from reading it in that i guess a lot of the time thinking about kids becomes like a very uh well it's obviously very personal but it becomes something that just sort of happens within your own four walls and it's quite kind of isolating. Like, you know, this is the thing that we do over here and like life is something that's happening somewhere else. Uh, but I, I like the way that with this magazine, it, it takes the attitude of, uh, I guess, of, of curiosity, of like trying to pull in different influences rather than having things shrinking down. That is very nice to hear. Thank you. <laughs> Um, well, look, I, I've I've really enjoyed this, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, to putting it out um, in front of our readers uh, in the stack shop. The I always like to ask people when the particularly when the first issues come back. Is there anything that you've seen in there that you're thinking, okay, for the next issue, we need to be doing that differently? So I think I can genuinely say, in terms of content, that I'm very happy with everything in there which is such a relief because we work on these ridiculously long hmm. um, production cycles. So, you know, I've been sort of staring this magazine in the face for two months and mm. at the time when we're speaking, you know, it's still a couple more weeks before it's out. Mm -hmm. um, so it's good It's good to like it. Um, I think perhaps, you know, ideally we'd sort of make it a bit longer. Um, and I think there are little things like the way the... Um, I'd like it if the binding opened um, a bit more easily, given that there are things in the magazine that are sort of made to be... Um, read and sort of filled in by children mm, mm, um, mm. and I think sort of if we up the page count then that would sort of probably happen because of the weight of the pages mm, mm. Um, so yeah I think you know that's sort of the only thing I can think of but you know having said that as the, at the time of us speaking it's not out on newsstands so once it is and people start telling us everything that we've got wrong um, <laughs> we have a quite different answer for you <laughs> all right well um look uh, in that case uh, i'm looking forward to catching up again and hearing about all the horror stories that have, that have come out but um for now uh thanks so much for for making the time to talk oh thank you very much dude Okay, that's all for this week. I would like to say thanks again to Harriet for speaking with me and apologies again for the delay with getting this episode up. I know a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are also involved in publishing magazines themselves, so I'm sure that lots of you will have had your own experiences just recently with figuring out the EU's VAT laws and the sudden difficulties with getting magazines into the EU. I mean, I'm recording this on the 16th of July, so that's more than two weeks after the new laws came into force and we're still getting conflicting advice from EU tax experts on how the system should actually be used. 
I do think we're very close to being able to send items into the EU again, but just the lack of care and attention that has been paid to this whole process is genuinely astounding. And if you're one of our customers uh, or subscribers in the EU, I'm very sorry that it's meant that we've had to delay your magazines getting to you this month. Um, and of course, we'll let you know as soon as our deliveries are back up and running again, hopefully next week. I am going to be taking some time off next month, this time for summer holidays. So this is going to be a short kind of mini season of the podcast, but uh, we'll have a new episode up every Friday for the next five weeks. So watch out for those coming your way. And of course, if you don't already, please follow us wherever you get your podcasts so that we can deliver them straight to you as soon as they're ready. Thank you very much for listening to this one. And we'll be back with another episode next week.